Good morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6 is where we're going to be hanging out today. We've been walking through the book of Exodus together. Thank you, Wayne, for stepping in last week to cover chapter 5. The Israelites are being brutally oppressed right now. They've been in slavery for generations in Egypt at this point. They've been crying out to God for help. And Moses, who has been away in exile in Midian for the last 40 years, has now come back to Egypt with a a message from God, a message of hope, a message that God has heard their cries and he's remembered his covenants, his promises, and he says, now I'm going to act, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. And so Moses shares this good news with the Israelites, and their immediate reaction is worship. I mean, can you imagine? Put yourself in their shoes. For generations, you've been in slave, uh, you've been a slave. Your, your parents and your grandparents, your great grandparents, that's all you know is slavery. And all of a sudden, this man comes out of seemingly nowhere and says, God's heard your cries. And he's remembered his promises. And now he's going to act. For once, you, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. God hasn't forgotten us. He's at, he actually does care. And so Moses and his older brother Aaron go from worshiping with the rest of the Israelites. And they, they walk into the palace to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to proclaim this message from God saying, let my people go. And I'm sure that Moses probably did not expect Pharaoh to be like, okay, they've worked hard enough. You know what? I think it's time for them to be able to go. I'll tell you what, do you need anything for your your travels? Do you need some snacks for your... No, he's not doing that. He knew, because God had warned him ahead of time that, look, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you, you, at least initially. But I don't think Moses could have expected how nuclear Pharaoh would go on the Israelites. Pharaoh not only said no, he's like, okay, let me think about it for a second. No. And if you can think about taking a vacation, that must mean that you're just not working hard enough if you've got time to think about a vacation. And so I think you need to start working harder. And so now when you're making all these bricks for me, we're not going to provide the straw for you. You have to go find your own straw, but the, their quota is going to be the same. And so now you've got these foremen, these Israelite foremen that are supposed to be in charge of everything. They're getting beaten because now they're in this impossible task. And so these Israelites went from worshiping God to now in this impossible situation where they've got to make bricks without straw, find their own straw. And you can understand why these foremen who are getting beaten for not being able to complete this impossible task, they're going to Moses and they're complaining. And you can hear the despair in their voice as they complain. They say to Moses, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then you get Moses' response. And I want you to notice Moses' response was a little bit different this time. I mean, he could have ran away like he did last time he was in trouble, right? He could have ran back to Midian. But he doesn't run away this time. What does he do? He runs to God. And I also want you to notice how real Moses is with God. He's just raw 
with God. Moses doesn't give God some kind of fake platitude. Moses doesn't pretend like everything's okay. He says to God, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. I mean, Moses is just raw. He's frustrated with God. He's honest. I so want that to be the culture of Mercy Hill. That when we walk into this place, and this is, I mean, you've probably heard the cliche that the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, but not not a club for saints, right? It's easy to say that. It's a whole other thing to try to live that because it takes a whole lot of humility to be willing to share your weaknesses and your struggles. And like we're, it's easy to share like the, 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 the little things that we struggle with, but to really get down and dirty with the, the things that we're, we're really struggling with, that's hard. But that's what we need to continue to press forward to. As a church, like a hospital, we should expect to see sick people, right? We should expect to see broken people, hurting people, weary people, heavy burdened people, because you know what? If we're honest, that's all of us at least in some seasons that we go through. Like a hospital, this should be a safe place where people can be raw with one another and raw with God. And that's what we see in this passage. Moses is raw. He's real with God. And I love God's response to Moses. It is so encouraging. When Moses complains to God, what we see in his response is, okay, God can take it. Okay, God, God uh, as we look at his response today, you're not going to see God condemn Moses. He's not like, Moses, how dare you talk to me that way? He's not like, Moses, okay, fine. You deal with it on your own now. Okay, he doesn't do that. We, all, we also see that God doesn't get flustered here. God doesn't, he's not like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I really thought that was going to work. You know, maybe we need to think of plan B now. No, he doesn't get angry with Moses. He doesn't get flustered with Moses. He also doesn't try to give Moses like this little pep talk to raise his self, self-esteem, right? He's not like, it's okay, Moses. You're special. You'll be able to do it. No. What does God respond with? He responds by over and over and over reminding Moses of the good news, of who he is, his character, his name, of what he's already done in the past, his faithfulness in the past, and of the promises that he has made that you can bank on. That's what God does. He pours out a reminder of the good news. And so as we walk through this text today, and and I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can take your smartphone and you can scan the little QR code in front of you on the chair, and that's going to give you the passage of the scripture. Uh, It's going to give you the order of worship. But today, as we're walking through this passage, I want you to look at three things. I want you to focus in on how many times you see I am, God say I am, Uh, I am the Lord. He says that over and over. Notice how many times he says I have, referring back to what he's already done. And then notice how many times he says I will, I will. Look at the promises that he makes. So let's pray one more time and then we'll dive into this passage in chapter 6. Father, we, we so easily forget. We allow our circumstances, our own sin to distract us and to worry us. 
we easily will run to answers that this world provides rather than running to you. We try to fake it. We try to act like everything's okay. Uh, I pray that today you would help us to believe. I pray that you would remind us again of the good news of who you are, what you've already done, and the faithfulness that you've proven to us, and what you've promised. And I pray that you would help us believe it and live in light of it. I pray that you would remove our fears and you would replace them with faith in your character and in your promises. Embolden us to proclaim the good news to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So pick up with me in chapter 6, starting in verse 1. So this is right after uh, Moses has been complaining about what's going on. The situation has gotten much worse since he's gotten there. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel from the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. We're going to stop there for a minute. And I want to focus in on all these I am statements. Notice how many times God reminds Moses, I am the Lord. And notice when the word Lord there, it's written in all capital letters, right, which means Yahweh. This is his proper name. I am who I am. And so he grounds all of his promises here in his name. Because his name is not just a name, is it? It's his character. He's saying, I am who I am. I am the eternal one. I am self-sufficient. I am the one who never changes. I am the all-powerful. I am the one who will keep my promises. And in verse 2, God reminds Moses that, look, your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew me as God Almighty, El Shaddai. They knew me, they knew of my power, but they did not know my name, Yahweh, at least not like you will know it. And I want to point out, I think it's important to know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob probably had heard the name Yahweh before. 
Okay, if you read through Genesis, you're going to see the word Lord in capital letters about 165 times. So more than likely, they knew of that name. And so what God is saying here is not that they never had heard his name before. He's saying that they've never gotten the chance to know the character of his name like Moses will. It's kind of like the difference between, okay, like if you really admire somebody when you're growing up, like a famous person. I mean, for me growing up, it was Michael Jordan, right? Uh, and I'm not real proud to say that now, but <laughs> when I was growing up, that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be like Mike, right? I, and then, so I practiced his moves. I imitate. I had my tongue sticking out when I went up to, well, do a layup. And I mean, I, <laughs> I read the documentaries, or I read the books, I watched the documentaries, and, and I could honestly say that I knew Mike, or at least I knew a lot of the details about Mike, but I had never met him. I've never my, met Michael Jordan. I've never played with him. I, I've never... I've never been on his team. I've never been his friend. So he never knew me. And so I think very similarly here, God is saying to Moses, yes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew of my power, but you're going to see my power firsthand as I wipe the floor with this puny little Egyptian king, Pharaoh, right? And so first God encourages Moses to trust me, trust me, why? Because I am the Lord. Trust my character, my name. Second, God encourages Moses to trust him by reminding Moses of his past faithfulness. Look at the I have statements. Verse 3, I've, I have appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. And so remember, the exodus is not simply about getting them out of Egypt. It's about getting them to the promised land. This, this land that was promised many, many, many years ago was given to Abraham. That promise was then again, God reminded his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob. And now once again, he's reminding Moses the same promise. And God does not break his covenants. That's why we don't just say promises. We talk about covenants because it's a, it's a deeper, it's a more sacred promise that God has made with them. And there, there's no proper illustration I can give for this because there's no promise that we can make as humans that we can for sure keep. Things get in the way all the time of our promises, right? I mean, we can have the best intentions to keep. How many times, though, maybe even today, that you made a commitment to be somewhere on time and yet you weren't able to be there? And sometimes it's our own fault. We don't set the alarm or we... We just don't get ready fast enough, or, or sometimes though it's just like traffic. It's out of our control. But with God, it is never out of his control. He never has to worry about traffic. There is nothing that can get in the way of God keeping his promises. You can bank on God giving them the promised land. Moreover, verse 5, I've heard, he says, I have, there's another I have statement, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. And so God is reminding Moses, he's a God who hears. He hears our cries. He hears our grumbling. He hears us. He's a, he's a God that remembers his promises, his covenants. He's a God that knows our pain. And when he says, I have remembered my covenant, it's not that he's forgotten it, okay? It's that now I'm going to act upon it. Okay? In fact, he prophesied that it would be 400 years that they'd be in slavery. And so this, is, this shouldn't be new news to him, to, to the Israelites. 
he, he had promised that he would act, but it would be a time. There would be a season that they would have to go through of slavery. Remembering God's past faithfulness. It's often what helps us get through our present troubles, our present fears. I know for me personally, when I remember how God has provided for me in the past, it helps me trust that he will provide for me again in the future. Uh, One of the kindest, most memorable words that Someone told me as a, as a young church planner several years ago, it was during a season where I was questioning my own calling, I was questioning whether Mercy Hill would even survive, and it was a visitor that came in, and right before the service, they said to me, you know what, Nate, God has not brought you this far just to drop you. And it was that simple sentence, and this, this visitor had no idea what I was struggling with in my, my own soul, but God did, and in that moment, he sent this visitor to say just the right words at just the right time to remind me of God's faithfulness. One of the greatest gifts we have as believers is a church family that consistently reminds us of the faithfulness of God. We desperately need others to pour into our hearts and our lives, reminding us of that faithfulness. That's why, I mean, singing that song this morning about God's faithfulness. We need to hear that message often, often. Not only does God remind Moses of his faithfulness, he reminds Moses of the specific promises that he's already made. Notice how many times God says, I will. Seven times in this short passage. In verses six to eight, he says, I will. Let's look back at these promises. He says in verse 6, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I love that word redeem. It's it's just, it's such a rich word. It means to to buy back. Uh, Redemption implies that God is actually taking the initiative to act compassionately on those who are powerless and they can't help themselves. In in fact, in the Old Testament, the word redeem often implies some kind of family relationship. Implies some kind of family relationship. You think of Boaz and Ruth and the kinsman redeemer. Uh, In verse 7, God uses family language, doesn't he? I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And the word take there, It means to seize possession of. Uh, It can also mean to adopt. Um, Often it was used to describe a man taking a woman to be his wife. It's family language. You say, look, you are mine. You are mine. Verse 8, it's another reminder. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. And so how do we know that? Again, he grounds it in his name because I am the Lord. So God says over and over, I will, I will, I will. Seven times, I will. And it's not hard to see the main point here. To people that are are hurting, are broken, weary, literally being beat down, God says to them emphatically, Israel, your salvation, your deliverance, your redemption is going to happen. Not because of you, because I am going to do it all. I will. I will. 
I will do it alone. I will do it all. You can trust me. I am the Lord. Now, I know for some of you today, more than likely, these promises are just kind of landing on deaf ears. Um, your heart is just hard because you're just going through a hard time right now. Life is hard. I think the next part of this passage is especially for you. Notice verse 9. Look down at verse 9. We have not read this yet. Moses relays this message, all of these promises, all these I wills, these I am statements, he relays it all to the people of Israel. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, listen, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. I think this is both understandable for the circumstances that they are in, but if you really think about it, it's also encouraging to us. Let me explain what I mean. So first of all, it's understandable because often pain distorts our thinking. Often pain blinds us to believing the promises of God. They couldn't see through their suffering. The Hebrew here could be translated, they did not listen because of the shortness of wind or the shortness of spirit. They're panting. They're out of breath. One commentator paraphrases it as demoralization brought on by exhaustion. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're hurting too much to hear and too burdened to believe. But listen, this is the good news that I think we see in this passage is that God's I wills are not deterred one bit by your lack of faith. His promises stand, even in the weakness of your faith. In spite of the weak faith, God presses forward. And I think that's what we see in the rest of this chapter also. This is what we we see. Okay, Moses, he lacks faith here too. Look at verse 10. Again, this is like the hundredth time that Moses has come to God complaining, right? Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of the land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall I go to Pharaoh? And how will he listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. We'll talk about that in a second. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, he doesn't explain what that charge was. Maybe he just reiterated Again, all the promises that he had just made and the I am statements that he had just made. But he basically said, look, you're going to do this. You need to do this. And so eventually Moses does that. But I think it's significant. Okay, so Moses here is saying, look, the Israelites won't even listen to me. How in the world am I going to convince Pharaoh to listen to me? And then look at what's next in in the chapter. I think this is fascinating. There's a genealogy. And I won't torture you by trying to read all of that because I don't know that I could pronounce all the names in it to begin with. But I think it's really interesting that Moses inserts a genealogy right here. Why would he put it right here? Why not put it at the beginning of the book or maybe at the end of the book? Why right here? Well, I had to wrestle with this a lot. The commentaries are kind of all over the place on this, but I think it has something to do with Moses' complaint here and his assertion that he has uncircumcised lips. It's a weird phrase, right? I mean, can you imagine telling somebody that you had uncircumcised lips today? 
the face that they would, the, <laughs> the look that they would give you, that would be kind of funny, I think. But <laughs> uncircumcised lips is kind of like Hebrew slang. He's saying, look, I'm completely inadequate. I'm unfit for service. That's what he means by that. Very similar language to what Isaiah said when God's trying to call him. He said, I have unclean lips. What's interesting, though, is this genealogy that Moses puts here, it's uh, right before the genealogy, he talks about his uncircumcised lips. But again, right after the genealogy, he says the same thing. Look down at verse 30. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And then he ends the chapter right there. And so why would Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sandwich this genealogy between telling, uh, saying that I have these uncircumcised lips? I think that's significant. He opens and closes the genealogy with that, that phrase. I think it's because the genealogy is meant to remind the Israelites that Moses was the right man for the job in spite of his weaknesses and in spite of his doubts. Moses walks through this family tree, which is filled with a bunch of messed up people that God uses anyhow, right? Levi, he was a mass murderer. One of the sons of Simeon, intermarried with Canaanites a Canaanite woman, and, and that was a big no-no. This is interesting. Verse 20, uh, Amram, that's Moses' dad, says that he took his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister. So Moses' mom was also his great aunt. I'm not sure exactly how you draw that family tree, but this is his family, right? Aaron's sons, his brother's sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they're mentioned in verse 23. They were eventually struck dead by the Lord because they disobeyed during their priestly duties. Uh, then you've got Moses' cousins, uh, Korah. They're also mentioned here. In Numbers 16, you can read about how the Lord opened up the earth and swallowed them because of their pride. This is the family of Moses, right? Dysfunctional, and yet God uses them to redeem his people. I think this is good news. I think this is good news for all of us, that our redemption does not depend upon our goodness. Is that not the gospel? Let me put it another way. God's promises always prevail over our doubts and our depravity. Praise God. All of Moses' doubts, his family's depravity, the Israelites complaining, none of that surprised God, and none of it deterred God from redeeming them because their redemption rested solely on his promises, on his promises. And so this is good news because it means that you don't have to have it all figured out to be saved and you don't have to have it all figured out to be used by God because it's his promises that matter. Listen, Abraham Isaac and Jacob, they knew the Lord as a promise maker. Moses knew God as a promise keeper. And what's even more than that, we know the one in whom all the promises are yes and amen. All the promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I've been meditating on Romans 8, and I always go back to Romans 8 when I need to think about God's promises, because Romans 8 is basically a list. And go ahead and turn there if you want to. 
Romans 8 is just a, a huge list of Paul going over and over. These are Jesus's I will statements, right? This is what I'm going to do. This is what I promise. And he starts off the chapter. I mean, think about this. If you are in Christ, you're a child of God, it means there is therefore now no condemnation for you. There's no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. In other words, I will not condemn you. That's a promise you can bank on. If you are in Christ, he will not condemn you. Also, skip down to verse 10. And Gosh, there's so much in here that I could, I could cover that we don't have enough time to, but I'm going to hit some of the highlights. Verse 10, but if, it, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, I will give you eternal life. If you are in Christ, I promise I will give you eternal life or you will spend eternity with me because of the righteousness, not that you earned, not that you deserve, but a righteousness that is outside of you, that is given to you by me through me dying on the cross for your sins and offering forgiveness. But not only that, look at verse 15. We did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He's saying, look, we need not fear. Why? Because God calls us his own. He's adopted us as his children. I will be your God and you will be my people. We, and because of that, he says, I will give you an inheritance. An inheritance which is better than anything you can ever imagine here on this, on this planet. He says, I will give you myself as an inheritance and you will spend eternity with me. Not, to do it, not due to anything in us, but totally due to Christ and his promise. Again, verse 18, in Christ, because of this, the sufferings of this present time, not worth comparing. Why? Because of the glory that is to be revealed to us. Because in Christ, we know, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? I will, I will, I will. Verse 38, he ends it with this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm. When circumstances get rough, get difficult, get even impossible, this is what we need to remember. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ today, believe those promises. If you are not yet in Christ, if you do not have a relationship with him, I can't encourage it enough. Believe the promises. They can be for you too. Let's pray. Once again, Father, I thank you so much for these promises. They are so precious, and I pray that our hearts would rejoice in these promises, that they would become more and more precious to us, that we would treasure your character, that we would be reminded of your faithfulness over and over, that we would do a better job and continue to improve on reminding one another of these truths, these promises, your faithfulness, that we 
would be real with one another, especially when we're going through hard times, so that we can encourage one another with the grace that you have given us and that you've poured into our lives. I pray that when conflict happens, we would, we would freely forgive because we've been forgiven. I pray that you would help embolden us and we would have such a joy in us because of this good news that it would pour out of us and you would embolden us to tell the world of this good news. For your glory, not ours. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming us and for giving us hope because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.